Good morning, and welcome to HR Examiner's Executive Conversations. I'm your host, John Sumser, and today we're going to be talking with Maya Josephakvili, who's got like the best name of anybody in the business and is the head of marketing um, and strategy at Greenhouse. If you don't know about Greenhouse, they're one of the shining stars of the San Francisco human resources technology scene with an applicant tracking system that I'm sure over the course of the conversation, Maya will tell us um, how it's different from everybody else. Maya, how are you this morning? I am doing great. It's really nice to be on the show again, John. Thanks. So so there might be like a person out there who doesn't know who you are. I wonder if you'd take a moment just to reintroduce yourself and clean up the crummy job I did uh, with my simple attempts at flattery. Oh, man. Uh, I'm sure there are many people that don't know me. So hi, everyone. I'm Maya. I currently run the marketing team over at Greenhouse. And just quick background, I've been obsessed with building teams and hiring since very early on in my career. I started my own company, Bootstrap, when I was 24 out of New York and realized there was no way I could compete for talent with anyone who could pay a meaningful salary. So I had to get very creative about how to recruit and hire top talent and sold my company a couple of years into Living Social, which at the time was going through a hyper growth state and actually probably one of the first hyper growth companies. So I was there running a few of the business units from 300 employees to 5,000 employees, uh, which was a wild, wild ride. And I have a lot of lessons learned of things not to do. But, um, you know, when I was having lunch with Daniel, our Greenhouse's founder and CEO, right when he was getting started and he was telling me about the company, I said, oh yeah, this is it. You know, hiring is definitely the next big thing I want to focus on. And I think the industry is changing a lot and I think it needs fresh perspectives. And so I've been at Greenhouse ever since. So that's like a hundred years, right? <laughs> oh, come on. I'm mid thirties, <laughs> mid thirties. So, 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 so how old is Greenhouse? Tell, tell me about Greenhouse. Yeah, Greenhouse is, uh, I guess, almost six years old now. Yeah, six years old. Uh, you know, That's 100 in San Francisco years. I know, I know. Um, I mean, it's, you know, when I started, it definitely felt like a startup. Um, I'd say now it, it, we still have a lot of the charm that we had as a startup, but it definitely feels like a much more established place. And especially as we look at the customers we're going after, you know, I think for the ones that people that know Greenhouse, they know we started out very much in the tech space and you saw, you know, the Airbnb and Pinterest logos all over our website. They're still a huge part of our identity and our company. But I'd say over the last couple of years, we've really expanded our customer base into lots of other industries as well. So, you know, we help media companies like Time and Publicist. We help uh, retail companies. So Taco Bell is one of my favorites because even though I'm a healthy California eater, I still love myself and Taco Bell from time to time. Um, and so, like I said, we're just going after a bunch of different industries. But um, at its core, we were founded on the premise that hiring is incredibly strategic and incredibly important to a company, and companies could use software that helps them get better at it. So that's, in a nutshell, what we do and how we think about the world. That's, that's, that's cool. So what's been going on at Greenhouse since the last time we talked? So I think two big things. One is, like I said, the expansion of the customer base. Uh, we have now 
I forget the exact count. And I think by the end of next week, you know, December are always the big sales. Um, we'll probably be at 24, 2,500 customers across a ton of wow. different industries. Yeah, it's been going great. Um, making a lot of headway in the enterprise space. Like we have tons of customers now with over five, 10,000 employees. So I think expanding our footprint uh, for our customer base has been a big thing. And then the other one has really becoming a full-fledged talent acquisition suite. So in the last year or two, we've launched a robust CRM module, a lot of enhancements to our onboarding. We've launched, I think it's the first, I don't think anyone else has done this, an events app to help with all kind of in-person campus recruiting events and the like. Um, and so we're really, really pushing on this concept of uh, a suite. So, you know, it's obviously not a full HCM suite. I'd still call it the best of breed, but uh, best of breed in the talent acquisition space, not just an ETS. That's, well, that's, that's an interesting evolving scene that, the, that recruiting is a sub-function of overall talent acquisition and talent acquisition runs from the first time somebody hits the funnel to the moment that they are uh, uh, productively engaged in their job. So, yeah, it's, it's, oh, that's, a, that's a great way to articulate it. It's a it's a really interesting change, and and it introduces different kinds of people into talent acquisition than you'd find if it was just recruiting, and and so your user base is changing. Yeah, absolutely, and I think it's interesting. Like one of the reasons I've you know there's there's been this question of do we go for the all in one big suite or do we go for a best of breed? And one of the reasons, the big reasons, the most compelling reasons I've heard to go best of breed for recruiting in particular is because of the end users, right? It's actually a very different end user than just the HR admin in the back end with no one touching it. Recruiting has very much become an all company uh, activity, at least the companies are doing it really well. And so you want to be make sure that you're servicing all the different types of um, users really well. So, so I don't want to put you on the spot about this, but, but, but you said something that's really interesting and, and is going to be an area of concern, I think, for a lot of people. When recruiting is an all-company um, uh, enterprise, which which I think I think is exactly what's happening in recruiting. Uh, the question of how you control personal information and comply with GDPR or whatever the the emerging conservative uh, privacy regulations are going to be that gets really tricky. That gets really really tricky because you, what you do when recruiting is and everybody in team sport is you ask everybody in the company to responsibly trade in personal information. And, you know, there are idiots like me inside of companies who write their passwords on sticky notes and put them on the computer. And, um, um, I, d I would sell my password to you for a hundred bucks, but I know a hundred people who would, um, and, and so, and so you have this, this very tricky, unregulated kind of environment that if you intrude um, permissions all the way in from this from the center onto everybody's desktop you prevent it from working so 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 how are you guys thinking about privacy and and that sort of stuff 
Yeah, that's a really insightful question. I mean, obviously, there's, you know, from a SOC 2 and from GDPR and making sure we're following all that and making sure we're staying ahead of it, we're doing all those things. I think I don't want to say that's table stakes per se, because I don't know that everyone is doing it, but it, it should be, right? So I think we're doing right. all that. But if, you, but if you think back to how it used to be, right, I actually think it used to be even scarier. Like, you'd be handed someone's, right, you're about to go in for an interview, you're handed someone's resume, you, like, look at it on the spot, you go and talk to them, you write down a couple things, you don't know what you're asking them, you write down a couple notes, then you tell the recruiter, you say, yes, no, they passed. And then you take your resume and you bring it back and maybe you put it in your bag and then you leave it at home. And so I think from a privacy perspective, people's information actually used to be out there in a much less controlled way. And then not just privacy, but also just like a legal, and I don't want to get to like the legal compliance, but I think that's the least interesting part of all this. But, you know, you had no idea what people were asking these people and then they'd be making decisions without any of the stuff written down. So one of the things that we really pioneered in the product is this concept of having an interview kit and an experience for every interviewer. So, you know, when I'm signed up for an interview, I can just go into my calendar. I click on the link. It takes me to my greenhouse interview kit. And I have all the questions I'm supposed to ask someone. I have all the person's information, but it's in this one neatly contained screen. And when I submit my scorecard, it all just goes back into the system. And you can see what I asked. You can see how I evaluated the person. So is it perfect? And can we promise that no one's ever going to take someone's personal information? No. How can you? But I do think we've done a good job of creating a contained experience for people. And I mean, let's get really nitty gritty into product features. We've invested a lot into permissions. So we have really granular permissions so that you can have John, the guy who wouldn't sell his password for $100, who has a lot more visibility uh, because you have you know, a lot more candidates. You've got like, you know, let's say, Bob, who's just interviewing this person for one job, you just want them to see the questions they're going to ask and nothing else. So I think the permissions is definitely a big thing. So that's that's interesting. One of the things that, that, that I've never been able to really clearly understand is, is when you have an elaborate permission structure, that means the role of the admin is um, extraordinarily powerful and extraordinarily dependent on them being able to pay attention to details, you know. And and then I use myself as the benchmark and go, oh man, are we in trouble now? <laughs> well, for you know, I've known you for a few years now. You don't strike me as the person who would be the system's admin at a company. <laughs> yeah. That's like, so. but 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 I I haven't met a recruiter who'd be a great one. Hmm. But actually, talk about trends we're seeing. I think the number of specialized positions within recruiting teams is evolving at such a clip. I mean, a couple of years ago, I think still the concept of a, a dedicated sourcer was this new idea, you know, and companies were catching on. Now you see HR operations teams and recruiting operations teams who are just in charge of this stuff. And it's actually been really interesting to watch the dynamic about who owns certain decisions within an organization about um, interview process because in some sides like obviously the recruiter wants to control the process but in other sides the operations team have a full view of you know what they want the global reporting to look like so i think that's a really good point and i think it speaks to the fact that we are seeing the rise of these hr operations teams 
I wonder, have you, I, I, I can't imagine that you have, but Greenhouse would be the most likely place I know of to do this. Have you taken a look at, so, so, so as the economy has gotten better and better and the recruiting function has differentiated to include all of these new uh, specific roles, what happens when the economy shrinks and recruiting does what it always does, which is um, shrink faster than the economy? Um, how does that how does that specialization hang in there when you're cutting the the team by eighty percent? And that's yeah. that sounds that sounds like a kind of a risky place to be if you're going to pay attention to what's historically happened to recruiting. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's a really good point. I mean, it, luckily, it's not one we faced this year. I forget when, maybe two <laughs> years ago, I think that was a question we were asking, you know, when it was kind of waiting and seeing what's happening with the economy. Um, I, look, I think that's a risk of being in the recruiting software business, right? It is, it is one of the industries or one of the departments that gets impacted most um, and most quickly when the economy scales back. So, you know, what I'd say is that companies will always be hiring, even if it's at a much slower rate, uh, even if it's just a backfill attrition. And actually, when a company is actually hiring very few people, in some ways, the function of recruiting becomes that much more important because if you only have a couple of more people you can bring on, you better make sure they're the very best ones that are going to add to your company. And so I think you still really value recruiting. From a specialization perspective, I'd say in the smaller companies, you're right. You probably get rid of the HR ops person and you just have, you know, the all-in-one people. But at the bigger enterprises, which, as I said, we're getting into more and more of that being our customer base, um, they might have fewer people on the ops team. But I feel like they still will keep an ops person and then people on the recruiting team. And what do you think? Well, so so I wonder. I wonder what happens in um, in in the shift of the economy from one state to another is you cut everything that doesn't move. And um, with aggressive specialization, what ends up happening is you end up cutting out the specialists and some generalists come in and don't do a very good job of what the specialists used to do because the jobs require specialists. But if what you're trying to do is, is cut, um, you have to cut, to the bone sometimes, and when you cut to the bone, you lose muscle, and when you have specialization, there's more muscle there to be lost. So, so I'm not sure that we know how sustainable the current model of recruiting actually is for a 20-year run. I don't, I don't think any of the architects of the new talent acquisition function gave a whit of a thought to what happens when it blows up. Yeah, and so I, I think there's risk. I think there's see. risk there. I think there's risk. There. Yeah, but I think there's risk in general. Uh, on, like I said, on the recruiting software space, if that happens. Uh, That's and, right. And we'll see. Right. But the, I mean, but then the other thing you need to do, you know, is make sure that you're building, you're buying and building software that, if it does come to that, that a generalist can do it. So, without getting into specifics about other providers, there are companies that need that you need to hire a special consultant for two years to implement a product. 
right? And I understand that it's incredibly robust, but I think that starts to get really challenging. So one thing that's been really core to how we build greenhouse is, you know, of course, a systems admin is going to um, more into setting up all the granular permissions. But we did build greenhouse so that it's implementable, implementable by anyone, um, and our customer success team will really help out in that way. So, you know, you don't need a year-long implementation with a specialist. Like you can do it if, if for big organizations. You can do it in a couple months um, with the partnership of our customer success team. Fantastic. So I hear that you're interested in diversity and inclusion as part of this general talent acquisition software development process. Tell me about that. What are you doing? Yeah, I mean, I'm personally interested. Our management team and our company is incredibly interested. It's something that's important to us as a company. Um, but yeah, especially as an industry in general. So we're partnering, we're building an advisory board. We're partnering right now with um, Joelle Emerson, CEO of Paradigm, and a couple other folks that are still in contract, so nothing official yet. But I'm um, trying to take an, an academic and science-based approach to helping companies get better because it is something that's you know, plaguing the world today is how do we get better at diversity and inclusion? And in some ways, it all starts with hiring. So how can you improve diversity hiring? And, you know, like I said, looking at the academic research behind it, there's a couple things that have really been proven to help. And we're trying to build that into the product to help people out. So a couple of examples. One is, I mean, I think the biggest one is just combating unconscious bias, right? So unconscious bias, we all have it. I was actually, when I did the, I forgot what the test was called, but the one where you um, see how biased you are against male and female by flicking on the association stuff quickly. You know what I'm talking right. about? Yes, yes. Uh, I'm a female engineer who was not associating women with engineering. So I'm embarrassed to admit that. And it also just made me realize that that stuff is real and it's out there. And we can either... Pretend it's not, or we can accept it and try to change it. So helping combat unconscious bias along the way really helps on the diversity side. So we have things like blind take-home tests. You know, so when a candidate is submitting a take-home assignment, which is becoming a much bigger part of assessments, um, the graders don't know who submitted it. So that's been something that's really helped. The other thing that's been really proven to help is this concept of structured interviewing. So sounds kind of basic, but if you're opening a role, you should decide what you're looking for, decide what questions you're going to ask, test for that, and then compare all of the candidates across those same factors. And so we help you do that. And what that does is it helps you as you're interviewing, ask all the people the same questions and then make a decision based on their answers, not just, oh, I'd have a beer with that one. Let's go hire that one. So, so the question I want to ask you is complicated, and, and, and please forgive me if, if um, I get it wrong and sound desperately like an old white guy. Um, um, the, the thing that you have to do to make diversity and inclusion work is relax about qualifications, right? And, and and I don't mean ignore the necessary parts of a job. What I, what, what I mean is that, is that there is a credentials gap that's going to take generations to resolve. And um, getting people in and on teams means having a different 
I think, a different view of what constitutes success of a job. Uh, and so, so what I know from my experience is that, that not, I, I may be totally different, but I never had a job where the qualifications required in the going in process had anything to do with what I did. It was just, it was like the gauntlet you have to go through. Um, and, and I know tons of people who, who have this paradoxical disconnect between their qualifications and what they actually do for a living, but you can't get to the end state without passing through the hurdle of qualifications. And what we're, what we're learning is that <coughs> success in the job, you know, the recruiting industry produces toss the coin levels of success in fitting the right candidate into the job. So, so what we know is the pure qualification stuff doesn't work. Uh, but, but we don't have improving ways of thinking about what a job is because a job is qualifications. Yes. It's temperament and personality. Yes. It's also your position inside of the social network when you take the job um, and and understanding what that is and how well Maya would do in a certain kind of network position that's different from how John would do in, in that network position. That's, that's where you're liable to find greater success rates. And are, are you are you looking at things like that? Are you looking at, at sort of widening the aperture so that that there's a broader range of decision that's possible? Well, I can see where you're coming from. I might challenge it a little bit because I don't know that, I mean, I think that that is true in some specialized roles, right? Um, like there are more white men studying STEM and therefore they have that specific skill set. But I don't think that that's the only problem. I mean, I think, you know, when people just say it's a pipeline problem, I think we're missing the point. There is still really good pipeline out there. And, you know, Joelle, the woman I mentioned before, does this great talk where she shows a couple studies. Um, and I'm not going to do this justice, but I want to try. So they took a bunch of people and they showed them two different resumes for a police chief. And there were a couple of different versions of the study. One had a male and one had a female. One was male, one was female, the two different resumes. And they asked the group, one group, you know, who's better qualified to be police chief, and they picked the male. In the second group, same exact resumes, but switched the genders, and more people chose the other resume, the one with the male. Um, and each one they asked for reasons why, and different reasons why, but always went for the male, even though they pointed to things on the resume. And that kind of stuff has been proven over and over again. And so, you know, at that point, it's not about the qualifications. It really was people were just unconsciously biased to think that the male sounding name was going to be a better police chief. So I think we need to fix that first. And that's kind of the first problem we're trying to tackle is how do you help people combat those internal unconscious biases they have so that when they are placed with two resumes with whether it's different ethnic sounding names or gender names, uh, they are able to make a decision based on what they're learning about the candidates and not just what their mind is uh, quickly associating them with. So, so, so in your view, the path to um, 
equitable hiring involves solving the bias that you find in decisions that credentials rather than opening the aperture so that people with different credentials and different skills and abilities can come in and try to do the same job. Is that, that, that's what you're saying. I'm not saying that it's a simple one answer solution. I think it's a really complex issue. I think the thing I just described is incredibly important and we're not, we haven't solved that yet as a society. So I think that's the first one to solve. Um, the other thing is you've got great companies out there like Textio who's reviewing uh, the job descriptions and seeing what language resonates more with men uh, with different genders, right? So, and it's really interesting. Have you seen this stuff before? Oh, oh, they're they are doing some of the most interesting work out there. They, they are, yeah, they are, they're amazing. Although they're in a pool of people who are doing some pretty weird crap and calling it science, but 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 the textile people are 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 at the cream of the crop in terms of um, making sense out of large bodies of text and using it to improve this problem that we're talking. Yeah. And so that's another thing I'd say that companies should be doing is making sure that the way that you're trying to attract talent is more inclusive of different groups so that you're bringing the pipeline in. And again, like I'm not, I don't know. I, I, like I said, it's a complex, complex issue. Like when I was an engineering major in college. I was one of four women out of a class of 50 that graduated from the engineering department. And so I'm not sitting here saying that, you know, all the different groups have all the same experiences, but I just don't think that the first thing to do is say, loosen the requirements. I, I think there's a lot of other problems and I don't know that that's actually the solution. The solution is, you know, remove bias, make sure you're attracting people well, make sure you're searching for the right things and then let's kind of reevaluate the situation and see what the next steps are. Yeah. I, I, I'm just of the, the opinion that the larger problem is that there are shortages. Uh, there are shortages of um, a broad range of kinds of people, women included that, that have to do with the way we train people as a society. And if you're going to make a difference, then, then what you have to do is figure out how to give them permission to fail in larger contexts than, than, than you might initially. Right. And that's, that's really where, um, the change is, right. It, Get, getting so that you can tell the difference the, the difference between two people with the same qualifications that's that's interesting but building an organization out of people who are capable cuz cuz learning is learning right it's figuring out how to get the right team together in spite of the fact that there are radical shortages in specific technology areas or specific other disciplines be a great longer conversation Um, yeah and 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 it is a complex complex issue and i will not pretend to have all of the answers no but you live in marin (laughs) people in marin always have um, all the answers they do Uh, maybe Um, maybe (laughs) (laughs) so so we have zoomed through a half an hour it's been a great conversation um 
Is there anything you want to be sure that we cover before we bring this to a close? I feel like I should have something great to say, but uh, I don't know. I love what we talked about. I I love talking about the diversity and inclusion. I think it's really top of mind for companies, and it's something I care about really personally and deeply. And so if, if anyone's interested in talking more about it, I'm always happy to chat about it. And certainly um, over at Greenhouse, we're happy to, to help and see what we can do to help your organization. That's fantastic. So tell people who you are again and how to get a hold of you so that they can talk to you about this sort of thing. Absolutely. So I'm Maya. I run the marketing team over at Greenhouse and I'm usually, you know, responsive enough on Twitter. So it's um, at Maya, M-A-I-A-J-O with an underscore. So that one always gets people, but I did it and can't look back now. (laughs) Fantastic. So it was great having you on today, Maya. Um, Um, let's do this again sometime soon. Absolutely. Have a great day. Okay. It was, it was nice to do this. Thanks for stopping by. You've been listening to HR examiners, executive conversations, and we've been talking with Maya Joseph Buck really, um, about her work at greenhouse and diversity and inclusion. Thanks for tuning in today. It's been great. We will see you next week. Same time. Bye-bye now. (laughs) 